Good morning, Chapel Hill. Good to see you. Welcome to Welcome Home Weekend. If you're a member or a regular here, uh, we welcome you home, Uh, especially if you've been gone this summer. It's good to have you back. If you're visiting with us for the first time, and we've had a lot of visitors this summer, we want to extend a particularly warm welcome to you. I know it kind of be daunting walking into this big place and everyone seems to know each other, but um, this is something special and we're glad that you are here to be a part of it. I need to warn you that <clears throat> every Sunday we're not going to have chicken and waffles in our food truck and, uh, and bouncy houses. Although if you're a little bit older, we have a bouncy house for you today. It's called the sofa. It's right out there on the other side of the uh, show. But we won't always gonna, you're not always going to find that when you show up on a, on a Sunday morning. What you're always going to find, though, is a warm welcome from people that are glad that you are here, great music, uh, some teaching that we hope is going to make a difference in your life, and most of all, we hope that you're going to find an encounter with God, a God who loves you, who cares about you, who has sent his son to save you. That's what we are all about here, and, uh, and we hope that this will become your home, that you'll come and be with us again and again. We really are delighted. If you don't know me, my name is Mark Toon. I'm the senior pastor here, and I, uh, I've been gone for a good bit of the summer, part of that vacation, part of it some health issues, and I'm really delighted to be able to tell you that I'm 100% percent. I'm all systems are go. Everything is good. So it's great to be back with you. And, and thank you. Thanks for your prayers and thank you for your encouragement and thank you particularly to my great team that uh, makes it possible for me to be gone either for good reasons or not so good reasons. We really are blessed, aren't we, with an incredible team of leaders, an incredible team of preachers. Now, I don't think we can say thank you enough for, for, to the Lord for them and to them for, for their great work. And, and I discovered when I got back that the Lord has really done something quite remarkable this summer. Um, I have some statistics that I think you might be interested in. Would you like me to share them with you? This summer, year over year, year to year, from last year to this year, our average worship attendance, not including the Ravi Zacharias weekend, which was like, you know, the whole of Washington State was in this room, not including that, our attendance is up year to year by 21%. That's really something. And perhaps even more remarkable, our attendance on Saturday night, how many know that we have a Saturday night service? 6.30 every Saturday. It's helpful to know as we move into the Seahawks season and they play at 10 instead of 1.25. Our Saturday night worship service attendance was up 49%. So that's really something. We've started our fourth year of Saturday in our worship, if you can believe that. It seems like yesterday that we started. So anyway, lots of good things happening. No, it's not all about numbers. It's not all about butts in the pews. But here's, here's the deal. Every one of those numbers is a person. Every one of those numbers represents someone that is loved by God and whom we believe God called to be here this day and to encounter. And so they matter to us. You matter to us. One by one by one by one, you matter to us. So welcome to Chapel Hill. We're delighted that you are here on this uh, kickoff to our new year. It's going to be exciting. And today we're kicking off a new series, a sermon series. Uh, It's about, it's a very familiar one, I think. It's about someone who runs away from what he was created to be, and he's swallowed up by a great fish, and then he turns his life around. And who, who am I talking about? Pinocchio, right! 
The Pinocchio story is actually based on the character that we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. And the biblical character, of course, is Jonah. We're going to be looking at the story of Jonah. We're going to take about, um, about six weeks to do that. Nearly everyone, even the most irreligious, unbiblically trained people, are familiar with the story of Jonah, especially the fish part. We all love the fish part. The kids love the fish part. But actually, the fish part is the least important part of Jonah. The most important theme of Jonah, as we're going to discover, is that God's incredible love and grace for the whole world, including those that we religious people don't think deserve God's love and grace. Because that was Jonah's issue. In fact, we, we discover in the book of Jonah that God's love is so gracious, so generous, that it's almost reckless. Jonah didn't like it, as we're going to see. I hope that you like it more, but it's the truth, and that's what we're going to hear about. Uh, last week, Cindy and I took one last little dash down to California. We drove by Magic Mountain. How many have been to Magic Mountain? Uh, it's, it's one, I like it in some ways better than that other place down there. Uh, they just built their 20th roller coaster and have announced that, and because of that, they are now, they have more roller coasters than any other theme park in the world. So they claim. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, the last time I was there, and I used to go a lot when I was doing youth ministry down in that part of the world. The last time I was there, I rode a new roller coaster at the time. It was called Viper. How many have been on Viper? Yeah, I had to put on Depends after I, after I rode Viper. Viper starts off with a drop that is so steep, so fast, and so endless that you think you're never, ever, ever going to come back up again. The opening verses of Jonah describe a man who is in free fall. He's going down, 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 down. And you begin to wonder if he's ever going to come back up again. In fact, the writer is so clever about the way he does this that he tells us this, the, this story of Jonah who is in a death spiral of his own making in a very clever way. In fact, when I recite this text to you, I want a little audience participation. Are you game? All right, here's what we're going to do. When you get on a roller coaster, what's the way that really brave people ride the roller coaster? That's right. Hands up in the air. So at the appointed time, I'm going to ask you to put your hands up in the air, and we're going to ride this ride together. And every time you hear the words down, I want you to drop your hands just a little bit. And we're going to hopefully make the point that Jonah was in a free fall away from God. All right? You ready for this? Are you ready for this? Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship that was going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. The mariners have reason to be afraid. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and then they they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down. And was fast asleep. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let us pray. Lord, this is a wonderful story, but we pray that it will be more than that for us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will take it and breathe life into it, and especially for those of us who are on the run from you, that we will be turned around this day. We will repent and come back to you, our Lord, our life, our loving God. For we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 There we go. Good to have you guys back, though. I hope you had a good summer. Got to have the cheering section down here. Uh, the prophet, Jonah is never called a prophet in this little book. By the way, it's a tiny little thing. 58 verses is all. It's one of what we call the minor prophets. Not because it's less important than the major prophets, but because it's smaller. Jonah, 58 verses, four little chapters. In all of that, Jonah is never called a prophet. But the opening words are a dead giveaway. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That has prophet language written all over it. Anytime you're in the Old Testament and you hear the words, the word of the Lord came, that's the sign that you're, you're going to be hearing from a prophet here. The prophet was a spokesman, in case you don't know what that word means. Uh, the, the prophet was the, the messenger of God. He heard what God said, and then he told the rest of the people what the Lord had asked him to pass on. In fact, we do know that Jonah was a prophet because in another book in the Old Testament called Second Kings, he is described as a prophet in the court of King Jeroboam II. So he was a prophet. This is what he did. Jonah's job was to listen to God and whatever God said, tell it to whomever God told him to tell it to. But for a change, Jonah does not want to do his job. In fact, the storyline of this little book that we're going to be studying for a few weeks can really be wrapped up in the first few words of the verses 2 and 3. God says to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. God says, rise and go. Jonah rose and fled. Where was Jonah called to rise to go to? Nineveh. Say Nineveh. Nineveh. Nineveh was a spectacular uh, impressive, opulent city, capital city of the Assyrian kingdom. The Assyrians were the powerhouse of that, of that time in history. Archaeologists have discovered the, uh, the remnants of this city. They know exactly where it is, and they can tell from the dig how impressive it must have been at one time. It was built on the eastern shore of the Tigris River. It's in modern-day Iraq, about 550 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Arise, the Lord said, and go to Nineveh, that great city. And Jonah rose, but he rose to flee. Where did he flee to? Where did he flee to? Tarshish. Say Tarshish. In case you're not familiar with it or that you might have missed it, he actually repeats the name three times in one verse. Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. It's like the Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. He's just got to pound it into us so that we get it. Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. We don't know where Tarshish was exactly. We've never uncovered it. Some scholars think that it might have been west of Gibraltar, which would have meant that it was way on the other side uh, beyond the Mediterranean Sea. But other scholars point out that the word Tarshish actually means open seas. So maybe what they were saying was that he set out in the the direction of this vast expanse of water that we now know as the Mediterranean. Either way, whatever the meaning, 
uh, Jonah's, in, uh, Jonah's in- instincts were very clear. You can help me here by pointing when I'm pointing. God wanted him to go here, point. And Jonah decided to go there, the opposite direction. God wanted to go here, and Jonah was, he ran this way about 3,000 miles from where God wanted him to go. Now, why? Why did a, God who, a guy who made his living listening to God and then sharing the message with someone else, why did he, was he absolutely terrified about doing it in this case? Well, I think, again, we get a hint in verse 2. It says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. The word evil there uh, actually could be translated wicked. Wicked. It is used nine times in this very short book to describe Nineveh or the Ninevites. Wicked. You know, when was the last time you used wicked? When you say that, you're saying someone is pretty, pretty bad. They're wicked. That is very strong language. But it is not too strong a language to describe the Ninevites. They were really a wicked people. It was a wicked city. It was the wicked capital of a wicked kingdom. And it was a kingdom that rose to power by terrorizing their opponents and crushing and brutalizing all of their enemies. Here we move into the PG-13 section. So parents, if you need to, you can plug your kids' ears for a second. But you can yeah, you all plug your ears. Here. No, no, keep it open. You're okay. Here we, we discover a little bit of the detail of why Jonah might have been so averse to the idea of going to the Ninevites. Um, and by the way, this comes from their own records. We've uncovered their own records. We have seen their, the, the carvings on their own walls. Let's take a look at them. Uh, they, have, they have carvings that we have uncovered from the city. Go to the carvings on their wall. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. I just, there we go. Uh, here's some of what the, uh, the, the Ninevites were, were proud of doing. The Assyrians, when they defeated a, an enemy, they would, one of their favorite things to do was to dismember them. So they would cut off their legs and they would cut off their arms while they were still alive. That's how they killed them. With the exception of their right hand so that they could shake the hand of the man as he died. How sick is that? They would often behead uh, by the thousands their enemies and pile them up in great pyramids outside of the tent of the general so that you had to walk by them if you were an approaching enemy, uh, a captive. Or even worse, they would take the head and they would force the family member or the loved one of the person who had been beheaded to spike the head on a long stick and hold it up high and then they would have a parade of heads that were, that were marched through the city. Or they would stretch them out with ropes so tight and then they would flay them alive. They would skin them. And then they would hang their skins as decorations on the walls of the city. It's horrific. It's horrific. In some sense, I think we might have had a a glimpse uh, that is more modern to us recently because not long ago we were seeing videotapes of an organization called ISIS that was chopping off the heads of their victims for the same purpose, to terrorize them and to terrorize the world. So we have a glimpse of that. Well, when you think Assyria, when you think Ninevites, then you can think ISIS on steroids because that's how awful these people were. You might recall this summer, many of you were there for it, our daughter Rachel was ordained uh, to the ministry. We, the session originally thought that we were going to be ordaining her to send her to Kenya on a mission. That's, that's how we got the process started. If you Google Kenya, 
you will discover that it is one of the most dangerous countries in the world for women. And, and so I got to tell you that when the Kenya visa did not come through, and Rachel instead was called to North Carolina, I, I was not too sad about that. I was not very sad at all. She's working at Montreal College there. Um, some people lament the fact that our daughter is so far away from you. She's clear in North Carolina. And Cindy and my response is the same every time. It's not Kenya. We are very grateful, honestly. I mean, we would have supported her if that's where the Lord called her. But we are grateful from the bottoms of our heart that God did not call her to such a dangerous place. God called Jonah to such a dangerous place. He said, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Arise and go, he says. But Jonah arose and fled to Tarshish. And by the skill of the writer and what you helped to illustrate in the reading, we discover that Jonah wasn't just running away. Where was he running? Down, 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 down. Five times the same word is used for down. In fact, there's one that's missing in the English translation. When it says that he was fast asleep, even that word means down, fast. He was deep asleep. And so we discovered that Jonah went down to Joppa, down to the port, down into the inner parts of the sea, of the ship, down into a deep, deep sleep. Jonah was running away from God. This, by the way, in the scriptures, this is the same language that's used for the grave. You go down into the grave. It is the language of death. And so the, 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 the writer is really trying to make it clear that when we run away from the Lord... It is always a downward move. It always takes us away towards death and away from life. And the irony of this, of course, is that the downer we go, even when we are scraping bottom, who do we discover waiting for us there? God himself, right? And when did we learn this? Well, how about Psalm 139? We spent half of the summer in Psalm 139. The whole of that psalm is a description of a God who cannot be left behind, who will not be escaped, who you cannot flee from. That's why we preach that psalm before we preach this story, to remind us of the folly of Jonah who seeks to run from God. For, for in that psalm we are reminded, where will I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. King David already knew what Jonah was yet to discover, that there's no way that you can run away from God. No place that you can go to escape him. God's grace pursues us right into the depths of our life. Why? Because he loves us. God's grace pursues you right into the depths of your life because he loves you. You are precious to him. And Jonah is about to discover the depths of God's reckless love, his grace. And it's not only for him, but it is also for those pagan sailors. And it's not only for them, it is also for that unworthy, brutalizing group called the the Ninevites. God's not willing to give up despite the wickedness he finds in Nineveh. God's not willing to give up despite the wickedness that he finds in those pagan sailors. And God's not willing to give up despite the wickedness and the arrogance and the disobedience that he finds in Jonah's heart. And here's the gospel. God's not willing to give up 
despite the wickedness that he finds in you, no matter how hidden it might be. That is hallelujah news. In fact, there's a clue for this great struggle that is characterized in this story, and we find it just in the very first verse, the struggle between the one who flees and the one who pursues, and it's in his name. We don't know that again because we don't read Hebrew, but did you know that the name Jonah means literally dove? Dove. We think dove, we think a white bird maybe, not that color. We think a white bird. We think Holy Spirit descending. We think the, the bird that came back with an olive branch in his mouth and gave it to Noah so that he could know that the, the waters had receded and the land was dry. We think nice things about doves. And yet, in the Old Testament, the prophets didn't always think that the doves were a great metaphor. For, once, for instance, the prophet Hosea, he describes the people of Israel as a dove, silly and senseless. In other words, he says, they're like a stupid bird. In other places, the prophets talk about the doves, how they coo, how they moan, how they basically whine. So the image that we have in the Old Testament of the doves, mostly of this kind of whiny, uh, silly, senseless, stupid bird. That's Jonah's name. And yet Jonah's other name is the son of Amittai. And that, you know what that means? It's the son of my faithfulness. The son of my faithfulness. So we have this interesting confluence of these two names. Even though Jonah, the dove, who is silly and senseless and whiny, tries to fly away, he is pursued by a God who will not let him go because he is even more the son of a faithful God. A God who, in fact, will end up taking him down temporarily so that he doesn't take himself down permanently. That's what we're going to see next week. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I want to pause here just this moment to say this. You realize that the word of the Lord still comes to his people, right? And now we don't have to wait for a prophet or a single person to get the word of the Lord. We who have the Spirit of God, the word of the Lord comes to us. We believe it happens on a Sunday morning like this when we gather and we listen to God's Bible, his word being proclaimed. The word of the Lord comes to us. That's why we say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God is going to speak to us right now. We believe that the word of the Lord comes to us through the counsel of godly people, of Christian people. We also believe that the word of the Lord comes to us through that soft inner voice that, that, that calls us sometimes to things that seem terrifying, that seem daunting, that seem greater than ourselves. We know this is what God wants us to do. We just don't want to do it. Like Jonah, we know he wants us to go here, but we really want to run away and go this direction. Maybe you're, I wonder how many here today would sense that in their own life. You sense that God is calling you to something that is hard. It's going to be sacrifice. It might be difficulty. It, it, it frightens you and your instinct is to run away. And yet God keeps calling. Maybe you've been sleeping with your boyfriend and God is calling you to purity. I know that's happening. Maybe you've been sleeping with your mistress and God is calling you to fidelity. And I know that that's been happening. Maybe you've been sleeping with a bottle and God is calling you to sobriety. Maybe you've been asleep at the switch and God is calling you to activity, to get up and do something. 
Or maybe like Jonah, God is saying, listen, I want you to go and talk to your friends about me. I want you to invite them to church. I want you to invite them to Alpha. I want you to invite them to celebrate recovery. I want you to share the fact that they do not have to live down, that they can live up. I want you to talk to them. And you are afraid of what they will say. You are embarrassed of how they might respond. And so you run the other way, you silly bird. You run from the faithful God who calls you and is not going to let you go. And you realize also, don't you, that sometimes God uses what seem like hard, stormy circumstances to stop us in our tracks when we're trying to run away from him, to call us back to himself. Sometimes God uses the storms to redirect our lives. Not always. Sometimes just bad stuff happens. It's not always some sort of a spiritual message. But God is not afraid to use the stormy things of your life to turn you around and say, stop running and come back to get your attention. To pull us out of our death spiral away from God and back up to himself and to his love and to his call and to his purpose. That's what Jonah's going to discover. And I bet that's what some of you are discovering too. God will knock you down so that you are not knocked out. My family used to, live, to love to eat in a, in a restaurant called Hunan Gardens. Anyone ever eat at Hunan Gardens? I loved their sizzling rice soup. That was a favorite. And their orange beef. Those were my two favorites. So we would go and we would eat there. And then for dessert, we would walk kitty corner across for ice cream to Baskin and Robbins. How many ever ate at Baskin and Robbins? I lamented the day that Baskin and Robbins left this town. It was a, a day to be mourned. Jamoka almond fudge is like a gift from the Lord. And I've been, I've been desolate, bereft ever since. So one day we were there as a family and we had eaten at Hunan and we were walking out and Rachel, who was about four years old, she got excited. Rachel always got excited. But she got excited for ice cream. And so she runs across the parking lot and right towards the oncoming traffic that she could not see. My mom, Nana Carol, was the closest to her, but she shouted. Rachel didn't stop. She tried to grab her, but she was out of her reach and too fast for her. And so Nana Carol did something brilliant. She took her grandma-sized purse, and she threw a strike. (laughs) She knocked that little girl right off of her feet, butt over tea kettle. I mean, it was awesome. Knocked her right to the ground. And of course, Rachel was crying and said, Nana, why would you do that to me? And of course, Nana did it to her because if Rachel had continued to run away from us, run away from her, she was running right into potential tragedy. And so what felt like being mean was in fact an act of salvation, an act of love. There's another part of the story I had forgotten until I ran this past my mom. I'd forgotten that, by the way, mom, this first service brought the purse, the very purse that she used. I lifted it up. It's like a bowling bag bag. I mean, it's bowling ball bag. It was awesome. Anyway, mom threw this thing so hard that it actually, she threw herself right off her own feet. She fell down onto the asphalt of the parking lot. And uh, we were so busy taking care of little Rachel, who's over here. My poor mom is rolling around on the asphalt. And uh, we kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, we better help her. So we, you know, we got her up, and she was kind of shaken up. But, of course, she would have done anything to save her beloved. Jonah, that silly, senseless, whiny dove, was trying to run away from God. And God would have nothing of it. 
The next week, we're going to discover how God knocked him down in order to save him. But really, the, the, the story of Jonah is also a glimpse forward thousands of years to another Savior who would come to save us, who, who came because his children were in a death spiral. And of course, I'm talking about Jesus. It was Jesus who came down to rescue we who were running away from God. And like my mom, it was Jesus who was the one who ended up being laid low for our sakes. It was Jesus who was the one who was struck down. It was Jesus who ended up on the cross so that he might deliver us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his glorious light. That is what Jesus did. He found us when we were headed down, 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 down. And he said, I want to lift you up, up, up from death and into life. And so he calls out to you today with the same thing. Are you running from God? Are you being a silly, senseless dove, whiny, and and fleeing the purpose and the call and the love of God? He's saying, stop. Are you caught in a death spiral of your own? He said, stop running. You might as well give up, you silly bird, because I am on your heels and I'm going to get you because I want to take you from death, from death to life. Lord, thank you for this story, which is not a story, it happened, but it is a reminder to us, it is a parable to us of how frightened we become. And I know there are people here sitting today, God, they know exactly what you want them to do in their marriage, with their children, with their parents, with their friends, with their morality, with their behavior, with their drinking. They know exactly what you're calling them to, with their neighbors, with their witness at their office, but they are terrified of it. They are afraid of it. They want to run the other direction. Lord God, would you embolden them today, give them courage today to change their heart, to change course, to stop before you stop them and turn back to you who takes us from down to up, from death to life. We thank you for your unbelievable, grace-filled, reckless love, O Christ. 